The following has been recorded at Cairn University. Any reproduction of this recording without the express permission of the university is prohibited. Well, I invite you to have the book of Genesis chapter 5 open, as I'll be referring to it quite a bit. I want to just briefly set the stage for us and give a review or summary of what's occurred already in the prior chapters here in Genesis. So far, in Genesis chapter 1, the living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have created all things in six days and all very good. We zoom in on chapter 2 at the crown and peak of God's creation, him creating Adam in his image and then his wife Eve. And God enters into a special relationship with Adam and with his wife Eve, what we call a covenant, a covenant of life, a covenant of works. And I say a covenant of works because God promises Adam, if he obeys the Lord perfectly at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, then he will be rewarded with the gift of eternal life. He will eat of the tree of life, which represents clearly at the end of Genesis 3, eternal life. But if Adam disobeys the Lord and sins, God promises him the curse of death. Not just physical death, but spiritual death. And we know what ends up happening in Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve sin. And you may wonder, don't they die? Well, not only does the principle of physical death begin to kick in, bringing sickness, cancer, suffering, and so on, but death is seen in that they're driven out from Eden. That word driven out, at the end of Genesis 3, is used for Israel being driven out of the Holy Land, cast out of the temple. And so Adam and Eve experienced the death of exile, cut off from God, but God, in Genesis 3.15, makes another covenant, a covenant not based on works, a covenant based on grace. And he promises in Genesis 3.15 that another Adam, one greater than Adam, a son, an offspring, a seed will come from the woman to crush the head of the serpent that is to destroy the works of the devil. See, when Adam sinned, he was our team captain. He was our representative. So when he sinned, his sin is counted to us. In Adam, all die, Paul says. But God promises another team captain, another head, if you will, another federal head. We know that's the Lord Jesus Christ, the offspring of the woman who comes to crush the head of the serpent. But Genesis 3.15 also brings into view there's ultimately, throughout human history, two kinds of people. Two kinds of people. In God's eyes, most important to him, these two distinctions of human beings are not based on race or ethnicity or nationality. It's you're either the offspring of the woman, what John calls children of the devil, 1 John 3, you're either offspring of the serpent, rather, children of the devil, or offspring of the woman, children of God. Two kinds of humans. 
Children of the devil or children of God? Offspring of the serpent or offspring of the woman? And what we have for us, friends, as we zoom in here on Enoch, here in Genesis chapter five, in the middle of this, what can seem like a boring genealogy, we have a great picture of what it looks like to be the children of God, the offspring of the woman. It's striking that Enoch is the seventh born from Adam. After Adam, Enoch is seventh from Adam in the line of Seth. And he's contrasted with the seventh from Adam through the line of Cain, namely Lamech. Lamech, in Genesis 4, took two wives to himself. He murdered a man and boasted about it in his song. But Enoch, on the other hand, is a beautiful picture of what it means to be in relationship with the Lord. And so, our main point this morning is that in God's covenant of grace, in God's promise of the gospel, he blesses his people with never-ending, life-giving fellowship with himself. God blesses his people undeservingly by grace with never-ending, life-giving fellowship with himself. And that's our first point this morning that Enoch had fellowship with God. Fellowship with God. How can we tell that Enoch had fellowship with God? Well, it's seen in the phrase, Enoch walked with God. It's mentioned twice for emphasis. We saw it in verse 22 and now here in verse 24. What does it mean that Enoch walked with God? That they enjoyed strolls in the park together? That Enoch got his thousands of steps in each day for his exercise and it so happened the living God was next to him? Well, we look earlier in Genesis, we can see that this word walk in the context of God's relationship with his people has to do with intimate, close fellowship. In Genesis 3.8, the Lord God is walking about in the Garden of Eden where he would fellowship with Adam and Eve before they sinned. And that's because Eden was the dwelling place of God. It's where God dwelt with his people. And so we see that Eden becomes a pattern for the other dwelling places of God in the rest of the scriptures, like the tabernacle and the temple and the church. For instance, in Leviticus chapter 26, we find the same word for Enoch walking with God and the Lord walking about in the garden from Genesis 3.8. We find it in Leviticus 26. It says, the Lord speaking here, and I will set my tabernacle among you, and my soul shall not abhor you, and I will walk among you, and I will be your God, and you shall be my people. That phrase, I will be your God, you will be my people, repeats over and over and over and over again in Scripture. We call it the covenant formula God's promise to dwell with his people and them to dwell with him. We can tell that Eden prepared the way for the tabernacle. There was a cherubim on the very veil and curtain in the tabernacle reminding 
Aaron and his sons. The only way back into the presence of God is through the flaming sword, through blood sacrifice. And there was all kinds of garden imagery on the sides of the tabernacle and then in the temple in Jerusalem. Because God dwelt with his people in the tabernacle. And that was used by the verbiage, he walked among them. But isn't it striking in our text, the subject of the verb to walk is Enoch. It's not just God walking with Enoch, but Enoch walked with God. The force of this Hebrew verb is that Enoch walked together with God. Two intimate companions walking together in close, face-to-face, heart-to-heart fellowship in a loving relationship. But notice, it's not a companionship of two equals. Enoch is not walking with his homeboy. He's walking with Elohim, the one who said, let there be light. One is the creator. The other is a fallen yet redeemed creature. One is the sovereign God of the universe. The other is his child. So the word to walk with God, it has a reciprocal meaning. Enoch, walk with God and God, walk with him. Again, I'll be your God. You'll be my people. And this word to walk with God also is not just referring to a one-time event. It isn't that Enoch took a walk with God once on an afternoon that was sunny. Enoch walk with God has the force of continually, progressively, in an ongoing way, walking with God. It speaks to Enoch's lifestyle. If you were to summarize Enoch's life, what would you say? Enoch walk with God. So the scriptures use this language of our walk for our behavior, our lifestyle. How is your walk on this Friday? How's your walk? Do you walk with God? Will it be said by the time you graduate from Karen University, he or she walked with God? Will it be able to be put on your tombstone? So-and-so walked with God. Well, there's four places in Scripture where it says a human being walks with God. The first two are here with Enoch in verse 22 and verse 24. And then in the following chapter with Noah in Genesis 6-9, Noah walks with God. And isn't it interesting? He's rescued from the flood of death, the flood of judgment. And then also the priests in Malachi 2.6. So what's the significance of Enoch in the promised line of Seth, not in the line of Cain, the cursed line of Cain, the promised line of Seth? What's the significance of him walking with God? What's the Lord revealing to us in the earliest chapters of the Bible here? That even though Adam and Eve have sinned, And by their sin, they were disqualified from fellowship with God. Now God, by his grace, is beginning to repair and restore fellowship with his people. God's 
children or his worshipers, his priestly people who call upon his name and he walks with them. And the point is here, fellowship with God, communion with God, close, personal, intimate relationship with the Lord. Friends, this is the goal of our salvation. We were not only created for this, we were saved for this. And we will walk with the Lord forever in the new heavens and the new earth. God does everything in the gospel to save us from the penalty of sin and the power of sin and eventually from the presence of sin for this, for intimate fellowship with the Lord, to know the Lord, to love the Lord. What's it look like to walk with God? What's it look like for you day in and day out to walk with God? Well, I think many of you could answer this question. It's to sit with the Lord quietly in his presence and hear his voice speaking to you from his word and to speak back to him in prayer. To be open with the Lord, confessing your sins to him, hiding nothing because he sees it anyway. It's to walk with those who walk with God, friends and brothers and sisters in Christ. It's to walk with God with his people on the Lord's day where Jesus in Revelation chapter two, verse one says, he walks about amongst the churches. Christ is present by his spirit. To walk with the Lord, worshiping him, hearing his word on the Lord's day. But notice the result of Enoch walking together with God is that Enoch is rescued from death. Enoch walked with God and he was not. He was not there. Why? Because God took him. Friends, this points to eternal life, which is not just quantity, infinite, eternal amount of years of life, but quality of life to know the Lord. The Lord Jesus Christ says, this is eternal life, speaking to his father, that they... God's children know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Enoch shows us eternal life does not begin when we get to heaven. Eternal life begins the moment we put our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. We have, we possess eternal life because we are joined and united and connected to him who is the resurrection and the life Jesus Christ. It's interesting that it says God took Enoch. Remember I mentioned Enoch is contrasted as the the one who's the seventh from Adam in the line of Seth. He's contrasted with him who's seventh from Adam in the line of Cain. And that's Lamech, wicked Lamech. That word to take is used for Lamech. And what What is it said that Lamech took? Lamech took wives in the plural. Forget God's design of marriage between one man and one woman. I want two wives. So Lamech took wives. But now this verb comes again. The next time it's used here, God takes Enoch to himself. And this is because our covenant relationship with the Lord is a marriage. 
In fact, human marriage between one man and one woman is merely a pointer to the greater marriage, which is why there's no more marriage in heaven between a man and a woman, because the marriage of a man and a woman will have given way to the marriage of the Lord with his people. My favorite theologian, Gerhardus Voss, calls this fellowship with God supernatural intercourse. Supernatural intercourse with God. Something that is so much more glorious than intimacy in marriage. The non-sexual, never-ending, pleasurable fellowship with God. Listen to what Voss says. Enoch is said to have walked with God. This means more than that he led a pious, godly life, for the customary phrases for that are to walk before God or to walk after God. To walk with God points to supernatural intercourse with God. Obviously, some connection is intended between this unique degree of closeness to God and Enoch's exemption from death. Some of us want tax exemptions. Enoch had death exemptions. By Enoch being taken up to God, it's once more proclaimed that where communion with God has been restored, their deliverance from death is bound to follow. Deliverance from death. You can be free from death and be exempt from death by putting your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is our second point this morning. Freed from death. Enoch had fellowship with God and he was freed from death. Although Adam and Eve sinned and death reigned, Romans 5.14, all the way from Adam onward, Although sin began to rule over human beings, according to Genesis 4, sin ruled over Cain. Although Satan called the prince of the power of the air, the ruler of this world, Satan rules over sinners as king over them. With Enoch, it's seen, death no longer reigns over him. Enoch, walking with God, interrupts the death cycle. We can tell that's the case from Genesis 5. If you look carefully in your Bible, beginning from Genesis 5, 6, all the way to the end of the chapter, we have the death cycle. It's something like this, beginning with verse 6. When Seth had lived 105 years, he fathered Enosh. Seth lived after he fathered Enosh, 807 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. This repeats five more times, six times total. So-and-so lived so many years, fathered their firstborn son, had other sons and daughters, and therefore the total of their years was this many, and he died, and he died. And he died, and he died. So when you get to Enoch, at the end of verse 23, thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years, you expect to see, and he died. But what's in the place of he died? Enoch walked with God. 
fellowship with God interrupts the death cycle. Knowing the Lord is eternal life. Therefore, Jesus says, whoever believes in me, even if he dies, will live. And whoever believes in me will never die. The rule of sin, death, and Satan is clearly broken for Enoch. And this glorious salvation will begin to unfold more and more throughout the rest of Genesis, Exodus, through the rest of the Bible. Enoch must have had his sins forgiven because the wages or the payment of sin is death. But sin is not interfering Enoch's relationship with the Lord. Enoch is freed from death. Enoch walks with God, and as a result, he was not there. Why? Because God took him. God took him. Was Enoch's body left? No. God redeems the whole person, body and soul. And so how can you also be freed from death to fellowship forever with God? It's by repenting of your sin, confessing your sin, which separates you and the Lord and putting your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he promises you have eternal life the moment you put your faith in Christ. And this brings us to our final point, Faith pleases God. Faith pleases God. Fellowship with God frees us from death, but this comes by faith, which pleases God. Why are we beginning to talk about pleasing God? Because the writer of Hebrews, he understands Enoch walking with God as being well-pleasing to God. Listen to the writer of Hebrews give his inspired by the Holy Spirit commentary about the life of Enoch. Hebrews 11, verse five. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him because whoever would draw near to God must believe that he, God, exists and that he rewards those who seek him. The writer of Hebrews is quoting from the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible called the Septuagint. And it's interesting that the translators of the Hebrew Bible who translated into the Greek Septuagint, sometimes they had a theological interpretation. Well, the word halak, it means to walk with God, but this means being in a pleasing relationship with God. And so they translate it as he pleased God. And the writer of Hebrews uses that. Because the only way we can please God is to trust him by faith. To believe who he says he is. He's the I am. And if I draw near to him and trust who he is and trust his promises, he'll reward me with himself. Enoch's reward was the Lord the Lord himself. So Christians, 
The only way for you to please God is by faith. In fact, only Christians please God. You mean my non-Christian friend or family member who does this, that, and the other doesn't please God? Yes, that's what the Bible says. Because it's not done to the glory of God or out of a motive of dependence on God. And they're not united to Christ and have the Holy Spirit in them to bear the fruit of love for God and others. So even if they do things that are outwardly good, they don't please God. It's only by faith you can please the Lord. Faith pleases God because it looks away from self to him who pleased God. God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, whom the Father said, this is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. Enoch is a pattern for us, a picture for us, an example for us. But Enoch also points ahead to other prophets who walk with God and are escape, who escape from death. Can you think of anyone else who was not because God took him? Elijah, 2 Kings 2. Elijah, who walked with God, who had fellowship with God, ascends to heaven without dying. Anyone else who walked with God and is delivered from death and ascends to the Father? It's the Lord Jesus Christ, who every day of his life walked with his heavenly Father, fully pleasing to him, putting his dependence on his Father as the God-man, although fully God, became fully man to obey his Father, in dependence on his Father, that his Father was who he says he is, faithful. But unlike Enoch in Elijah, Jesus Christ had to die before he ascended to his Father. Why did Jesus have to die? Because he knows that Enoch and you and me sinned and the wages, the payment of sin is death and the only way we could escape death was for Christ to suffer the penalty for it. Pastor Timothy, how in the world was Enoch saved by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ if he lived thousands of years before the cross? I mean, I've, I live now after the cross. I know what God has done in Christ to save me by sending his son to die and be raised. How was Enoch and Noah and Abraham and David and everyone else mentioned in Hebrews 11 who lived in the Old Testament, how were they forgiven of their sins and covered in the blood and righteousness of Christ if Christ hadn't come to die yet? I'm so glad you asked because I have a question for you. How did Jesus die for all your sins 2,000 years ago before you did them. The same principle is true. God the Father had already planned to send his son, the lamb slain before the foundation of the world, Revelation calls him. And God the Father forgave Enoch on the basis 
of the coming Christ and cross. So that although Christ hadn't lived yet and lived out his perfect righteous life to cover Enoch, God knew he would send his son. And in the same way, although you hadn't even sinned yet, all of your sin was laid on Christ on the cross that all his righteousness might be laid on you by faith. This is what Paul is getting at in Romans chapter 3. Beginning at verse 25, Paul says, whom, referring to Jesus, God put forward as a propitiation, a wrath-satisfying sacrifice by his blood to be received by faith. This, this death of Christ was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, in his patience, he passed over former sins. God passed over Enoch's sins, and God would have remained unjust if he didn't punish Enoch's sins on Christ. So verse 26, it, the death of Christ, was to show God's righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier, the one who declares righteous, the one who has faith in Jesus. You may be wondering, why in the world would God want to walk with a sinner like me? I ask the same question. How can God walk with me and how can I walk with him? It's by repentance and faith in Christ who removes our sin guilt, removes our sin debt, removes the enslaving power of sin for us to have fellowship with God now and never-ending when he returns. And so we close with 1 Corinthians 1.9, which refers to this life-giving fellowship with God. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you that even if our bodies die, our souls immediately go with you. And when your son returns, we'll be resurrected as he was for our souls to live back in a body. And we thank you, Father, that the Bible says in Revelation 21, your son will tabernacle with us forever in the new heavens and the new earth and walk with us and we'll walk with him. Lord, we pray that everyone here who has not put their trust in you would repent and turn to Christ. And those who do believe in you would reconsider their walk with you, that that's just what it is, walking with God. Lord, remove everything that interrupts our fellowship with you, that we might walk with you uninhibitedly in sweet face-to-face communion by faith and then by sight when you return, Lord. Bless my brothers and sisters here in Cairn University to continue to faithfully stand on your word and for them to walk with God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.